so we did our first podcast with a guest joke <laughs> we did we recorded our first guest podcast today at mud and low salt how'd you find it i loved it absolutely loved it learned so much uh just so inspiring to hear about the culture that they've created yeah i just left feeling yeah inspired that there's some great companies to work for this is going to boost their uh, talent attraction well i know everyone going work at malone soul i wish i did <laughs> yeah i know what you mean i felt like we just had such an interesting conversation with them i mean nikki young who's the group md of malone soul is such an inspiring woman and i found it fascinating to hear about how organically they've developed really family kind of culture at, at salt and then i really enjoyed digging into like how that plays out as an employee so it was fantastic to have katie on as well um, and hear from her what yeah, it, was it was a like great perspective wasn't it the two the two together yeah and they were both so honest with what they shared about um their own experiences of mental health issues so we're really excited to share this with you i hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it and yeah let us know what you think but before we go into the episode i know you're keen to listen to it we would love for you to subscribe to uh this podcast a place to thrive on itunes or spotify or whichever platform you listen to your podcasts on and if you give us a rating give us your feedback that also helps us improve it and also have content that's going to be right for you but also helps other people if they want to listen into similar kinds of content because it boosts the ratings yeah so um all feedback welcome um and don't forget that we um are recording some episodes which are answering your questions and challenges and issues around creating happier healthier working cultures and places to work that people actually want to come to and then work well for you so yeah please do get in touch with us with any of your questions around that and we will see if we can give you some advice in a future podcast you can get in touch with us by finding either of us on linkedin i am joe hooper and um i also love to hang out on instagram you can find me at mad and sad club and I'm Joanna Hall on LinkedIn, and that's my main platform. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as a fire underscore Joe, but I'm not so active on there at the moment. So LinkedIn's my place. Enjoy this episode. We better shut up, haven't we? We better shut up and yeah. let Nikki and Katie get on Crack with it. on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, so, thank you very much, Katie and Nikki, for joining us today. The reason we approached you guys was because, um, Nikki, we met earlier in the year when you were speaking at an event around mental health in the PR and comms industry. Um, so, it's great to have you guys here on A Place to Thrive. Would you mind each of you kind of introducing yourselves to our listeners? My name is Katie Eustace, and I am a senior account manager at SALT. And I've been working here for about three years now. And I'm Nikki. I am the managing director of Mullenlow Salt. I've been here for almost 20 years. Wow. <laughs> so almost as old as you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Thank you. And just a, a nice, easy question to start with. What's it like to work at Mullenlow Salt? I feel we should start with you, Katie. <laughs> Um, it's a lot of fun, um, but I think for me, we do really rewarding and amazing work. 
and it's you know you look back and you're really proud of the work that you do you know everything that we do is all around driving positive change through communications for our clients and you wake up and you you know you're excited to get to work every day because you've got some really exciting projects to work on and you work with amazing people you know I've got so many close friends at work and we have fun but we do awesome work as well and that's a really wonderful balance to have. Yeah, it's something like, so I started off my career in PR and I'd always known about Salt as being a kind of purpose-driven agency, which always to me seems like something quite unusual. It's interesting, I was contributing to a thing for the NCVO the other day. One of the questions they asked was, when you work for a charity or a purpose-driven organisation, does it make it kind of easier for you then to get so into it and so driven and so passionate that you kind of get a bit carried away and you can get a bit (laughs) burnt out um maybe I mean I think that certainly this industry attracts a lot of perfectionists Mm. and high achievers and we want to please our clients and strive for the best and always over deliver and do incredible work and so yeah I do think that it's a tough thing to learn that that balance and boundary of what is good enough and when do I need to <laughs> look after myself <laughs> yeah and it's something that I'm sort of very aware um you know when I'm briefing my juniors and things and keeping an eye on how late they're working and it's always about you know we look after each other and we make sure that you know that people aren't staying late and that people are achieving that balance and I think on that point when Uh, Two years ago, when I suffered from my breakdown, it was in no small part because I was trying to do too much. So even though I've been in the company for so many years and had worked hard to establish a culture which was designed to protect employees, I couldn't but help throw myself into it because for me personally, it's been my baby, my second child. Um, So I think you make a very good point about finding a way to be selfish, but self-ish as opposed to selfish, which is a negative phrase. I always think self-ish is a positive thing because without looking after yourself and putting boundaries in place, uh, you're not going to serve anyone any positive returns really Mm. yeah it's interesting actually because this morning I was discussing the where the responsibility for well-being actually lies you know is it at the organizational level is it with leadership is it with managers direct line managers or was is it with the employees themselves and we were going around the table because people have got different views my view is that actually it starts with yourself because Mm. you've got that sphere of influence and control over how you interpret situations and, you know, how you manage your own life. And I think then I'd be interested to know exactly what influence you feel you have over the people that report to you and, you know, what your role is in supporting your own mental health to influence them. Um, Certainly as a line manager, I take that responsibility really seriously. Um, because I've had really good line managers in the past and I know how powerful they can be if you feel like they're on your side and and they're supporting you. And I've also had ones that have not been so supportive um, in previous agencies and where you've felt really isolated and alone Mm. and then you're too scared to, um, you know, bring up an issue and then it sort of becomes a bigger thing in your head. So um, for me as a line manager, you know, I always want to be available to her and, and, and provide as much support as possible um, and just keep an eye out for her well-being and let her know that if she's not feeling great you know to let me know so that you know we can put plans in place if mm-hmm. things are, are tough in a personal life you can look at their you know their workload and see how you can just ease the burden when when things are tough outside of work. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so do you feel as a line manager within, within SALT that you have that autonomy and capability to be able to make decisions to help people with their workload and their sort of general life stresses and you know, strains? Um, certainly, because I think that if I raise an issue with um, my line manager, then I know that, you know, there's director-level resourcing meetings that they have, and so, you know, th there are things that we have in place to help when people are feeling overwhelmed and, you know, and they need their workload l looked at just so that they can have that support. You know, we have a wonderful HR manager who is more than happy to take someone out for coffee if, if she needs to offer them more support. And several of us in the office have been trained as mental health first aiders. So I know that if someone came to me with a certain issue, I would know um, there are some resources that I can point them towards. And we also have um, our own sort of peer group sessions. We go out for coffee and mm. just have a chat about the things that are frustrating you and, and what's going well. And often those are the cases where you can just share how you're going. And often if you feel that someone else has, the same, has been feeling the same as you, it makes you feel... Less alone and, and more... Golly, yeah. Yeah, and you can share tips on how you've coped. You know, a client that's yeah. stressed you out, maybe, or, a, you know, a, a tough deadline. Or I had um, a really inter interesting discussion with um, somebody who's uh, quite prominent in the mental health arena about exactly the question you asked, Joe. Where does the responsibility lie for well-being? And he's a service provider in that he offers organizations from schools and universities through to businesses technology to help people be mentally healthy. And he was adamant that the responsibility of well-being should not be with the employer. The mm. responsibility with with for well-being should be, as you say, with individuals, the responsibility for the employer is to ensure that the environment is yes. conducive to yes. healthy well-being yes. and that employees have awareness of where to go for help. Mm -hmm. Because I think we, we start to um, walk a, a very um, dangerous line if we assume the role of psychologist or counsellor yes. or mentor mm -hmm. In the, in the professional sense of the word, when actually we, we're not specialists no, in that area. And I think with mental health, we need to be aware of that. I think everyone needs to take responsibility for it, is, mm. is essentially what I think. And, and no one employer should think that it is their role to ensure that, you know, them alone... Are they alone are responsible for, for, for the well-being of employees. They yes. must create the environment yes. that we all I are responsible. Agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I definitely think, as you say, the responsibility with looking after your own mental health is really on yourself. And I think mental illness is the only illness where you kind of have to be your own clinician and therapist. Like, you don't get <laughs> everything you need from one place. Like, mm. I would say I get my medication from my doctor, I get talking therapy and support from my therapist but then I make loads of lifestyle changes I manage my diet exercise sleep etc and the only kind of golden thread running through all that is me so mm. you kind of have to be the one to look after yourself at work so just to touch a little bit more on culture Nikki I'm really interested to understand a bit more about how you set out to design the way you run salt to develop this kind of culture because as I say I've I've known of salt throughout my career and it's always been associated with a special or different place to work. And mm. I'm fascinated by how you went about developing that culture in the agency. It was organic. 
in the sense that I think it was serendipity meeting Richard and Andy. I was the first employee. And when we sat down in a box room uh, for the first time to talk about what we all believed in, it was certainly that we should be working in a place that was lovely to come into every day. And um, from the moment I started uh, working at SALT, they encouraged me to leave when I'd finished work, to never feel I needed to apologize for being five minutes late. And I think that it allowed me to relax into the role. And um, because I was empowered to grow and develop, I felt that I could create a culture which was reflective of the kind of work environments that I wanted to be in, which was a place that um, had no politics. I'd experienced a very toxic first job when I came to London um, with some, quite frankly, very nasty females. Um, and I always swore I would never create or work in an environment like that again. I also felt that um, it was very important for people to feel if they were leaving their homes or leaving their families or um, indeed traveling abroad as I had done, that the time spent at work should be as enjoyable as possible. So I honestly did not, nor did Richard and Andy, set about to create a culture that was unique. We didn't we didn't start us and think, oh, we want to win awards. Um, we just, we just, it was very organic. And the one thing we did do is, and I remember I belonged to a business group um, of chief execs and MDs, and I've been a member for nine years. And I always used to say how culture was in our business plan from the very beginning. And they were always bemused by that because I was, I was probably the only female in the group, but I was also the only one that wasn't a qualified accountant who was running a business. And I think that made a difference, actually, because I wasn't approaching everything through the commercial lens. Mm -hmm. I very much believe that the way in which you run a business that is successful is to put your heart and soul into it, which in turn nurtures a positive environment, and then the work will come. I was never KPI'd with new <laughs> business targets. I, it wasn't that kind of environment, so it organically grew into a very um, nurturing, wholesome place, so much so that when we, when we became a B Corporation, we didn't have to adapt our culture to, be, to become a B Corp. Uh, we just were. And so now we're along with Ben and & Jerry's and Patagonia and other fantastic companies that are also B Corps, just because we, we happen to believe in being a good company. And is it still the case now that you, as kind of leadership team, you don't have purely commercial KPIs? Do you have kind of cultural KPIs? I'm, I'm just fascinated by how you human kind of... KPIs? Yeah, actual <laughs> human people KPIs. If you can KPI a human, I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm just trying. so interested in how... And maybe, maybe there isn't a process of no, things that you go I through. No, I think that's a very good point. I've realised that over the years, and we've evolved as an agency a lot, the design and structure of SALT went from when we were about 10 people, we were flat structured, everybody was called a consultant, we didn't have different levels. We soon realized that people were asking for career paths, they wanted to know if they moved on, and let's face it, no job is for life, 
They wanted to know where they were moving to, so therefore a role and a title was helpful to them for their career moving onwards. And so we started to put in processes and we, we also set up divisions at one stage and now we've gone back to being a flat structured organization. But we, we always realized that the people element was at its heart about treating people with respect, about just making sure that people knew if you do great work, then the money will come. If you treat people badly, the money won't come because the work will stop being great because people stop mm. wanting to work mm. for you. And we, I, I started to describe it as the holy trinity. So in, in answer to your question, in our business plan, we have culture, we have clear positioning, which is the phrase that we call um, our work. So what is it that makes us different and better? And then we have commercials. Now, every business that is a commercial entity needs to make money in order to survive. The work that you do will help you make money, but when you're a services organization like ours, without people, you cannot make money, nor can you do great work. So if any one of those elements falls mm. down, you will find yourself in a situation of um, going downhill. And over the years, I've had commercial suffering and then the clear positioning suffers and culture suffers. I've had clear positioning suffer and then culture and commercial suffers. <laughs> I've had all varieties, but I know that those three things are linked. And therefore, any organization who thinks, I'm setting myself up to make money, you will never survive and you will never thrive because that's not the way to run a business. Mm. Nikki, you talked about growing from 10 employees you know, and changing the structure and then going backwards. What would be some key advice that you might give to help create a great culture and great working environment for those companies that are in that growth phase? So when you get to five, ten people, the ability of the founders and the people who were there at the beginning to tell the story of what the company means and is and the behaviours that embody the organisation, it becomes quite onerous and also to, 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 to have a cohesive um, narrative and a narrative that is consistent. So one of the first things we did, and I advise anyone who's setting up to do, was to quickly capture that culture in something physical. And we created a behavioral frame, a framework, which essentially we interviewed everyone in the organization, asked them to identify 12 behaviors that we, they believed embodied salt and made us this lovely place that people say we are. And working together with a consultant, we narrowed those down from all those different individuals to, to 12 key behaviors um, and described those behaviors as what they are and what they aren't. And those behaviors still today, 20 years on, form part of our recruitment strategy, form part of our appraisal process when there are difficult conversations to be held, not only with employees, but clients. We look at those behaviors and the ways in which we describe those behaviors to help equip ourselves with a language that is not emotive and highly charged. 
And it gets to the stage, like with me now, that when I interview somebody, I just know if somebody's salty or not. Um, <laughs> in the best possible way. In the best possible way. And it doesn't involve any sort of weird practices. Um, but it's, it literally is something that is so embedded, to your point, it's not something that we try to do. It just is the way we are. I would, I would highly recommend people taking the time to capture behaviors and what you want your company to be and be unapologetic about them. Exactly that. I think it's fascinating. So I'm really interested in culture. I mean, handy, as we've started a podcast <laughs> about culture and health and happiness at work. But I think you so often see, or I have so often seen, culture being a work stream in a well-established organization we need to develop our culture and we're just gonna we're gonna set from the top down what the culture of the organization is and I loved hearing Nikki that you went out and asked all of your employees what behaviors they thought embodied Mm. salt or a salt employee Mm. um, and really kind of the the impetus coming from I guess from the leadership and the founders but the insight coming from everyone who works in the organization I love that we often talk about um, when we advise our clients you don't make a purpose you find the purpose and I would argue that the same applies to a culture Mm. you find it I was asked a question recently can you create a culture if it doesn't exist And I think with the right people, I think it is possible. It will be hard work, though, because a lot of people are very set in their ways. Mm -hmm. And cultures aren't things that you can whip out and bring a new thing in, like an IT platform. It requires people being strong, people believing in what they think is right. You know, taking criticism. Is this where we should be spending Mm -hmm. our budget? Mm -hmm. Yes. And being dogmatic about it, this is imperative. This is, you know, the fabric of your organization. And this is what will attract people and keep people in your company. Katie, I wonder if I can ask you, how does it feel different to work at Salt than somewhere else you might have worked? Because there's clearly a a really strong sense of culture, a really strong sense of well-being, a really strong sense of purpose here. And I'm really interested in how that translates into what it's like to work here, what it's like as a workplace? I would describe SALT as a really supportive workplace and I can have honest conversations with seniors, juniors and and my peer group in a way that I've never experienced before because in, in my previous agency in New Zealand, I was quite scared of some of my seniors and there was a massive cultural issue there mm. or lack of culture, I should say. And I think... You know, the work that we're doing around mental health and, and talking about it more in the office, personally, that means so much to me. And it's wonderful to see everyone just start to talk about it more and you can have far more honest conversations. Mm. And it just makes it a, a more fun place to work. It's interesting, your point about having more honest conversations around mental health. That's one of the things that I hear all the time in workshops and talks and stuff that I do with businesses to try and help them tackle mental health work. I always hear that people are fearful, not just the people who might be struggling with their own mental health, but the managers, the leaders, um, HR teams, fearful of saying the wrong thing Mm. or making someone worse. And I think the only way to overcome that fear is to have experience of having honest conversations with people. Was there a bit of that fear around talking about mental health when you when you started being more open around mental health at work as an organization? I had fear, and that's from somebody who 
is the leader of this organization. I mean, I didn't come out, so to speak, for a year after, after I had been off ill. And um, the fear there was that how could anybody lead an organization if they'd had mental health issues? And I'm somebody, I studied psychology. I know, I know the way the brain works, but still I had that fear. And um, I remember when I did out myself, I, I was really surprised because it, it, it happened just by writing a post on LinkedIn. And it's really interesting. I don't know why I did it. I chose to do it on the anniversary of when I first fell ill. And it was International Women's Day. And I just, I felt compelled to do it. And I, there's been a few life moments where I've just felt, felt compelled to do things. I can probably think of three. And that was one of those moments where I just thought, screw it. If, if people are going to judge me, then I'm not being authentic to my true self. And that point, authenticity, is the key point here, which is if somebody can't go to work and bring their true selves to work, I do not believe that you're creating an open culture that is conducive to making that family environment that will see employees bring more than just what is required in the day job. I'm not talking about overtime. I'm talking about a passion. And if you can get employees to feel passionate about what you do and feel safe uh, to talk about, you know, the fact that, that we're not perfect, I think that's where you start to create mm. um, great workplaces. I agree, actually, Nikki. I think the authenticity piece is really critical because whether it's mental health, whether it's financial difficulties, whether it's your sexuality or just some relationship problems, not to belittle them, but I think having the the courage but also the psychologically safe environment in the workplace to be able to talk about any of your issues because one can often lead on to the other. Correct. You know, if you have mental health issues, that might then put you into, you know, um, issues with managing your money and, you know, mm -hmm. being at work, losing your job. And there could be a catalyst and, and, you know, vice versa. You know, many things are interrelated. Certainly from um, my perspective, when, when Nikki was very open and honest about your journey and your experience. I was so um, proud of how courageous you were in coming forward and talking about it. And I think having your leaders talk so openly about their own experiences enables a safe culture for everyone else to talk about their own. And I certainly feel that since Nikki has shared her story and experience, everyone else has started opening up so mm. much more. And we have things called talking heads where you know, certain people every month open up and, and share their story you know, about something about their mental health. And I recently did a talk about how you know, my sister had really severe mental health issues and Salt was incredibly supportive of me while I was trying to be supportive to my sister who mm. was on the opposite side of the world and how that had a toll on my own mental health mm. and, and just knowing that Salt was just so supportive, just meant so much to me during a time that was really, really tough. And then being able to talk about it, um, you know, a year on and look at how far I had grown and really, really mm. lovely. Yeah. So you're, you're talking in a way that it sounds really like you're connected, you know, you mm. know each other on a personal level. And <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's really unusual. I mean, I don't know that what's, the, for our listeners, what's the size of Mullen Low Salt? So Mullen Low Salt, um, in, in London, we have about 48 employees. In Singapore, we have 10, 12. 
And I remember even in the early days, we had um, this, this woman who wanted to do an, a, um, her postgrad, she was, she was writing a paper on work cultures. But she came into the office and she did this. She stayed with us for a good three months, actually, just analyzing. We were her, you know, her, her science experiment, really. And um, she wrote a paper, which I still have. And um, in this paper, she talked about how everybody at SALT has a nickname for each other. Um, <laughs> we need and, to ask oh, you what you are. Uh, until, until recently, we, we used to wear slippers into the office. We all bring our cereal in. You know, we, we, we have habits, which she described, as very familial. So mm-hmm. we yeah. are like a family. And I'm always nervous when I interview people, I say that and we have a behavioral framework. I'm always concerned people think cult. And it isn't, <laughs> yes. it isn't cultish. What it is, is it's an environment where people can just feel that, okay, we're professionals and we, to that end, do tend to recruit, as Katie was saying, high achievers. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a whole lot of challenges in itself because none of us are complacent. But we have this strong sense of bond, which... We just want to get on, really. I mean, you spend so much time at work. And if you don't get on, Katie and I work very closely together on um, a number of accounts. And we, we enjoy it. We speak plainly. This is revolutionary stuff, guys. Enjoying work, <laughs> being honest, wearing slippers. God in heaven. We need to bottle it. <laughs> it's interesting you talk about trust and safety. One of the things that I wanted to ask and you kind of brought it up in the conversation, Katie, is whether you you would feel comfortable talking about your own mental health at work. And clearly, there is a trusting culture here. You have your talking head sessions where people, I'm assuming, are coming forward mm. with their stories around their own mental health. What do you think it is that makes you feel comfortable in being so honest and vulnerable about your mental health in those periods? I think that for me hearing Nikki share her story and having leadership really be honest about their own journeys with mental health certainly makes me feel far more comfortable and supported in talking about my own. And then I see that, you know, with everyone else in the company as well. Well, it suddenly makes leaders become human and relatable. Mm. Exactly. Somebody like you. Everyone's fallible. Yeah. 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 It makes you realise. Yeah. And then I guess for me, I was privileged because I was in the position that I was. And I knew that if the company I've built can't accept me for my illness, then I was not going to stick around, quite frankly. And, and that comes with the privilege of being, you know, in the position I am and having been in this company for a long period of time. But I think um, the other person I often talk about is the chief exec of Lloyd's Bank. But he went off ill at the same time as I did in 2017. And his illness, God bless it, made the news, unlike mine. And lots of people thought that the board would turn their back on him. And actually what happened is that they welcomed him back. And today Lloyd's has championed mental health as part of the way in which they attract and retain culture. And he's very much the the figurehead of it. And he talks openly about it. And it's become a unique selling point of the organization. And to Katie's point, I think it takes leaders in those positions, particularly in financial institutions, which are quite tough Mm. to break the, um, you know, the perceived tough image that chief execs or leaders should have. 
and show that we are all human. Mm. And I think lots of companies that I work with have things like healthcare and an employee assistance programme and support like that in place. But Katie, what sort of support, you talked about the support that you received when you were struggling and looking after your, or wanting to um, spend more time with your sister who was struggling with her mental health. What sort of support did you receive? Because I think what I try and do with companies is help them understand that the support that people might need might not be you might not be able to put it into clear boxes like Mm. healthcare, EAP, occupational health. Actually, sometimes you need some quite personal sort of support. Our HR manager obviously directed me to some really helpful resources and she encouraged me to call our uh, Bupa employee helpline. But to be honest, the things that really meant the most to me when I look back on that time was just people that I worked with taking me out for a coffee and asking me, are you okay? How can we help you? How are you feeling at the moment? And, um, and so many people did that with me. And, you know, even if it was just Andy, the CEO, asking me, how's your sister doing every so often? It, those little check-ins mm-hmm. just meant so much to me, especially on the days when it was really tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frankly, family first. And, um, and we could see that if Katie wasn't going to be able to be there, she wasn't going to feel complete. You know, I speak for the entire executive management team who thinks highly of Katie, and we didn't think a moment but to send her and say, off you go, you know? And um, as Katie was saying, her sister's doing really well now, which is great, which makes you happy, Yeah. (laughs) which means we've got a happy Katie, which means Katie's doing brilliant work, which means we're making money, which means we're successful. So without being kind of crass to show the connection to commercials, I think sometimes business leaders don't see that connection unless you spell it out absolutely yeah. because it's it's not something that I would necessarily put on a spreadsheet or my P&L that Katie going to New Zealand equals happier workforce which <laughs> equals more income but it's you know it, but it's it, true it, isn't it, it because is. it has that ripple effect that it contagious is. effect you know the impact on your friends and family Katie as well as you know your colleagues around you and then you know the way that you would advocate for salt you know Mm. as you're talking to your friends you know down the pub or whatever you know so they'll go on oh I've heard about salt you know and there on it goes and Mm. then the impact on you know your clients and your customers they'll pick that up from happy employees and it, it, it really irks me that there isn't this correlation because it's it's hard to quantify mm. in pounds, shilling, pence, dollars, whatever, mm. you know, currency we're working in. You say the profit and loss. It, it's, it's hard to quantify. But actually, when you look at it from a humanistic point of view and you're talking, you know, you know you're sharing your story to us, you can just feel that. that but you, you also um, with some of our clients, we work with William Grants and Sons, who are distillers that make Hendrix gin. Nice. Um, good, lovely good client, guys, those. lovely, good lovely guys. client to have. <laughs> and um, they've got a fantastic culture. And they um, when they learned about the talks we were doing and around mental health they invited me to to do a talk to their finance department and I remember thinking that for me demonstrates the link to also adding value to clients but on a different level because the reality is that clients want to work with suppliers who share values and if your value base is connected through 
this acknowledgement that a healthy workforce is a stronger workforce, which is a stronger business, then it gives you another reason to do business together. So again, I think it's just finding a way to connect those dots. And sometimes, as you will know, Joe, when you speak to, you know, all these businesses, you need to help to make the business connection clear for people to get it. It's not natural to everybody, but it is possible to make that business connection known. I just wanted to pick up on some of the things that you you were both saying around the support that meant the most to you, Katie. And it's certainly what you were saying around people checking in with you, taking you out for a coffee, just talking to you as a normal human being rather than, a, <laughs> you know, someone that we need to be careful with because they're struggling or someone who, at a different level in the organisation, there's none of that gubbins, for want of a better word. It was that human empathy that meant the most to you. And yeah. it that totally resonates with me and you said the exact words Nikki you don't have to be qualified to have an empathetic human conversation with someone and make I'm getting goosebumps make a real difference (laughs) to the way that they feel um so yeah that was amazing to hear I'm aware of time and you guys are busy people so we have some really quick fire questions at the end we mentioned that we want the podcast to be really practical so I've got three quick questions for you Nikki Katie what's the best thing about working for Mullen Low Salt the people that was quick thank you that was very quick (laughs) Nikki the people and the impact that we make on society and there might not be an answer to this one, but is there one thing that you would change, big or small? Bit of coffee downstairs. <laughs> good point. There you go. There's some live employee feedback for you there, Nikki. Very, very Practically good point. I would, I would concur with that. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had more budget to do more for my employees. It, it's sad that money is finite, mm, but yeah. um, I would literally double my budget overnight if I could to um, help Salties. What would you do with it? As I was saying that, I was thinking I would certainly invest it in um, more training and development because I believe that the more equipped people feel, the less anxious they are. I would also really, really like to um, invest in an amazing bit of kit, big white wall. Have you heard of them? I don't know if you no, have. No. Um, it's I'm hoping a, that they do what they say on the tin. Um, the big white wall, you write <laughs> The big white wall is a social media platform. So it's essentially a white wall whereby employees can um, anonymously talk about their mental concerns or their issues, anxieties, and um, it's a self-help forum. Wow. Um, ah. And it is a 98% effectiveness. Um, about 20 universities in the UK are using it at the moment. And the NHS is also um, buying into it um, because obviously there's not mm. enough resource mm. to, to help all the people with mental health issues. Um, and they also offer a virtual therapy. And I know the organization well, and I have um, tremendous um, respect for what they were doing. So I would certainly invest in that service. That's amazing. Wow. wow. We're definitely going to be going to Google them after <laughs> yes. this. Do. I'll be asking you about them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Last question from the other Joe. What one piece of advice would you give to our listeners to help them create a place where people can thrive? Don't tolerate politics. I think that, you know, there's a lot of attention being given to that because it's happening through social media. But as a practice, I think it's existed in society Mm. 
for many, many years and um, sadly in organizations. And I remember when we created the behavioral framework, it was literally to protect the culture from bad eggs and, yeah. um, and be very, very um, strict about that, including in employment contracts. And without policing it, um, it becomes self-fulfilling if you start yeah. to recruit yeah. against that yeah. and um, hold people to account. So I really encourage people to just call it out as not being right. God, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm. Those bad eggs have got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, how about you? I would say empower everyone within an organisation, no matter what level, junior, senior, to play their part in creating a culture. Because I think if everyone can feel like they can participate in it and feedback on it, then they can help, instead of just raise a problem, they can suggest a solution. And solutions can come from anywhere and any, yeah, any level. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Thank you. So that's our first guest episode. It is. Wrapped up with Mud and Low Salt. And what a one it was. Oh my God, how exciting. That was just, oh, I loved it. Still buzzing. I know, it was yeah. such an awesome conversation. I genuinely could have kept them there all afternoon. Um, but we need to wrap things up now. We do indeed. Um, we do indeed. And we always said we wanted to bring people really practical content that they could implement within the workplace. So what would be the key takeaway that you had, Joe? If I focus on, you know, my favourite topic, mental health stuff, um, I think the key practical takeaway was the talking head sessions. So Katie mentioned um, that they have, it sounded like all agency sessions where anyone could come forward and talk about their own experience yes, with their mental health. Yes, that was good. And she talked about how she opened up about her experience with her sister's mental health and the impact on her own and I haven't heard of that sort of idea before and it's definitely something I'm going to be recommending with some of the businesses that I work with because I just think that's a fantastic way to start something that's free that doesn't cost any money that says to your employees we care about your mental health we want to hear about yeah, it yeah we want to help you to support one another um I think it's amazing and then the other one that um just are you Mate. taking two, are you? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so greedy. Maybe we'll have four key takeaways, two each, make it fair. Um, it was good. It was a good session. <laughs> I think, and you may have been able to hear it in the podcast recording, but the other thing that kind of made my heart sing was when Nikki said, you don't need to be qualified. You don't need to have had mental health first aid training or Gosh, any other training yeah. to have an honest conversation with someone or I think she said to see that someone isn't themselves and again Katie talked about that human conversation from people the human empathetic way of supporting her that was really impactful and you know that really mm -hmm. that's just exactly what I say all the time <laughs> that you don't need to worry that you're not qualified to have a conversation with someone about their mental health because the only qualification you need is to be an empathetic human being. Absolutely. I love that bit. The human side of their organisation just really sung mm. through, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll let you go now. <laughs> What's <laughs> Thank your you favourite key takeaway? <laughs> My key takeaway was when Nikki was talking about the behavioural framework that really underpinned the culture yeah and I love that and uh, that just sings to my heart from a <laughs> cultural organizational cultural perspective I've worked with HRDs HR directors in small businesses where exactly we've done that where we've looked at the behavioral piece um, and it, it's worked really well because it's given them a great foundation for how they 
not only create the culture that everybody works within, but also a wonderful framework for attracting the right kind of talent. Because I believe that you do need to get the right kind of people in your organization in order to keep building on the right culture. Um, so I love that bit and we could have talked much more about that as well in detail. <laughs> and again, it was it's a practical thing that you can do that doesn't cost any money other than your time to go out and talk to your employees and yeah. pull that together in a framework. Yeah, absolutely. Make it part of your recruitment process, your, your employee contracts, all the stuff that Nikki talked about. Yeah. So that's us done for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope it was inspiring. That was our main aim with these episodes where we talk to um, people in different organisations was to give you some inspiration for how you can implement some of this stuff in your yeah, own workplace. Absolutely. Um, so we hope that you've got some inspiration. We hope that you've taken something practical away that um, will help you in your workplace. Let us know if you do. I'd love that. Oh, yeah. A place to thrive in the wild. <laughs> wow, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> please do give us your feedback and please do tune in next week for the next episode of A Place to Thrive.